Thank you very much. And I was asked to speak tonight for the Mikvah Society of the South Bay in San Jose. I looked at it as a special privilege, not only because I'll get to speak about Shalom Bayes, harmony in the home, because the Mikvah, the ritualarium, is one of the most important institutions in any Jewish community. In fact, the Chavetz Chaim quotes the Pre-Chavetz. The Pre-Chavetz was one of the great 17th century Sephardic sages who says that for a community to be considered a community in Jewish law, it needs three things. It needs a daily minion that has three minyanim a day, it needs a rabbi, and it needs to have a mikvah. That is the definition of a Jewish community. The Taz in Yeridea points out that the greatest differentiation, differentiation between a Jew and a Gentile. The greatest difference between a Jew and a Gentile at some level is that a Jew uses a mikvah to be able to purify himself or herself. And the Talmud says in Nida that a mikvah refreshes and renews a Jewish marriage. And that is what we're really here tonight to speak about. Shalom bayis, marital harmony, that the idea of refreshing and renewing our marriages Marriages are something that need a constant chizik, constant renewal, constant work. Where do we see that? We see that from Abraham and Sarah, from Abraham and Sarah themselves. We know when the malachim, when the angels came to tell Abraham, Abraham, that he's going to have a son, Isaac, so the angels asked Abraham, Where is Sarah, your wife? Rashi quotes the Talmud. What was the question? The angels knew where Sarah was, where Sarah was. What were they asking Abraham? So the Rashi quotes the Talmud that says the reason was in order to cause Abraham, Abraham to recognize inherent beauty of his wife Sarah that she was modest. And even Avraham and Sarah, who had been married for dozens of years, if you imagine, they were an elderly couple at the time. They were happily married. But there was something that the angels wanted to bring out in Sarah that Abraham perhaps didn't recognize or did not appreciate as much. So if Avraham and Sarah, who had been married so many years, who are our forefathers, they needed chizik. They needed a constant strengthening. How much more so do us? And to be honest, we all deserve credit for being here tonight. Because there is no marriage in the world. Even Avraham and Sarah's. There is no marriage in the world that does not need chizik. That does not need strengthening. That cannot be worked on to squeeze even more beauty and more joy out of. Rabbi Yosef Karo who is the great 16th century Spanish sage, the, writer, the author of the Beit Yosef, the Machaber. It's known that not only did he write many works of Jewish law, like the Beit Yosef, 
like the Kesef Mishnah, like the Machaber, which is the Shulchan Aruch. But he also wrote a book where he had conversations with a Magid, with a heavenly voice. That's our tradition that he had conversations with this Magid. And he writes that the Magid told him of the unique qualities of his wife. How what kind of lofty soul that Rabbi Yosef Karo's wife had. And you think to yourself, didn't Rabbi Yosef Karo recognize how special his wife was? Didn't Rabbi Yosef Karo pen the words how a Jew should honor his wife more than himself echoing the words of the Talmud? Why did he have to hear how special his wife was? And the answer, of course, that even Yosef Karo could have become you know, caught up in life and not appreciate all of the beautiful facets of his wife and all of the potential that his marriage offered. Rabbi Aryeh Levine, who was immortalized in the famous book that's a Sadiq at our time, who was one of the great sages of Jerusalem, the father-in-law of Yashiv, who was the great leader of Torah Jewry in Israel today. So he lived in Jerusalem, and he once saw a, a, a husband talk to his wife in an improper fashion. And not, and not in, in the most refined way that a, a, a Jewish woman or a Jewish man, both goes both ways, deserve to be talked to. So he asked the Gabbai of the Shul, he asked the sexton of the Shul, could he please speak after Friday night services that week? So he got up to the Shul, and he gave an impassioned speech on how marriage is supposed to be, how beautiful marriage is, and how a spouse should talk to their spouse. And at the end of the speech, it was clear to him that that individual who had taken the time to give this whole speech to, it didn't have any effect. You know, he was probably thinking he was talking to somebody else. But one person came up to him. That person was one of the heads of the generation. One of the great tzaddikim, one of the most righteous men, Rabbi Isser Zalman Meltzer. Rabbi Isser Zalman Meltzer was renowned for his midot tovot, for his good midas, for his fine qualities, for his tenderness, for his warmness, for his care of every Jew. So much so that one of the great Rosh Hashivas alive today commented that he once went to Rabbi Isser Zalman and he cried after he met him. He cried because he felt so inadequate. Here he was, of such a Jew who was so refined in all of his ways, he felt inadequate. So Rabbi Isser Zalman, this great Jew, goes to Rabbi Levin, and he says, thank you so much for this speech. I really, really needed it. I really, really needed it. So and he said, I'm going to work on my marriage. From now on, I'm going to be a better husband. Thank you. So always a story. Rabbi Isser Zalman wrote his magnum opus, on Maimonides' Mishnah Torah, on the Rambam's Mishnah Torah. And in those days, before typewriters, certainly before computers, were common, so he had to handwrite it all, and his wife wrote over the book before it was published. And she made a few mistakes. So Yisra Zalman got irritated to himself a few times, he said. And perhaps a little vibe transferred over to his wife. And this speech made him recognize that. Okay, this speech that Rabbi Arya Levine gave him, so every Jew needs chizik. Every Jew has to work on their marriage. And the reason we have to work on our marriage 
And if we walk out with nothing else tonight, we have to know that the most important, the most important idea, concept in our lives is our marriage. There is nothing, zero in life, that is more important than our marriage. It would be impossible to understate the importance of marriage. Marriage in a, in a beautiful Jewish marriage is so important that the Talmud says in Chulin, Kufmem Aleph Amad Aleph, that Hashem's name, we know that one of the most serious prohibitions is to destroy Hashem's name, is to rip up Hashem's name, is to erase Hashem's name. When a Sefer Torah, when a Jewish book it can no longer be used, what do we do with it? We bury it. Because God forbid to throw God's name in the Torah, into the garbage. God forbid to throw God's name into the fire. So we bury it. But there is one case where the Torah actually says that you should actually erase God's name. And that is for the Sotah woman. That in order to cause harmony in the Jewish home, God says, erase my name. So important is Shalom Bayis. So important is harmony in a Jewish home, and not harmony. Harmony, let me tell you what Shalom Bayis is not. Rabbi Itzik Isaac Sher, who was a great Lithuanian Rosh Hashiva, pointed out that Shalom Bayis is not not fighting. <laughs> it's not being having a cold war or having a part of a neutral marriage. Shalom Bayis is harmony. Shalom Bayis is beauty. Shalom Bayis is the most profound relationship that a human being can have. There is no more profound bond that a person can have into this world than with their spouse. The Shalom Arbach said on his deathbed, his wife's deathbed, that he never got into a fight with his wife. Okay? And there is, that is our goal. That is what we aim for. We don't aim to not get into fights. We aim for Shalom bias, Peace, beauty, harmony, the Avram, David Avram, who is the great early 15th century Spanish sage from Seville, points out that we know that women are exempt from certain time-bound mitzvahs. Exempt! They're not obligated in lulav, to shake a lulav. They're not obligated in saying Shema in the morning. They're not obligated in other time-bound mitzvahs. Why? Because sometimes a woman, the Talmud refers to, as the Beisayu, as the home. That the essence of a Yiddish home, the essence of a Jewish home is the wife. That the wife really sets the tone of the home. And that there, if a woman was constantly obligated in every time-bound mitzvah, she would have conflicts. And there would be conflicts from making a beautiful Jewish home and serving God. And Shalom bias, Harmony in the home, that a Jewish home should be thriving is so, so important. The Hashem says you're even exempt from certain mitzvahs, from certain commandments. Reb Chaim Vital, who was the great, great Kabbalist from Sfat of the 16th century, the greatest disciple of the Arizal, really all of the Kabbalistic Lurianic Kabbalah comes from Reb Chaim Vital's pen. Reb Chaim Vital says a fascinating thing. 
Chaim Vital points out that you know the real litmus test of where a person is in this world. Do you know the real litmus test of who a person is? Do you want to know how they're going to view in heaven? It's going to be how you treat your spouse. They're the most fundamental level a Jew could be is not how you eat your matzah on Pesach night. You still have to eat your matzah. <laughs> not how you shake your love. You have to shake your love, but it's how you treat your spouse. There is nothing more important. There is nothing more fundamental to being a Jew. My Rabbi Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky points out, I've heard it from him more than once, that when the great tzaddik of Shlomo Zalman Arbach, who I mentioned on his wife's deathbed, and the, the custom in Jerusalem is to ask forgiveness from a spouse before they're buried. So he said he didn't have to ask forgiveness. And Rabbi Shlomo Zalman, for those, I met him, for those who met him, passed away 15 years ago, was such a humble individual. I truly believe he wanted to teach us it was possible. It was possible to have a beautiful Jewish marriage, even though it's, far, it's very difficult, where you don't fight. Rosh Zalman, my Rebbe points out, that whenever he would walk to the door of his house, he used to stop. He used to straighten himself out, make sure his jacket was straight, fix his tie, he didn't wear a tie, fix his hat, and he'd stop at the mezuzah, and he would think before he would go in. And his student once asked him, Rebbe, my teacher, what are you doing? You know, you're going into your house. What's the big deal? <clears throat> so Shlomo Zalman said, I'm going to the Mechabal Pnei Shechina. I'm going to accept the Divine Presence. I'm going to the Mechabal Pnei Shechina. I'm going to accept the Divine Presence. You know why? Because the Talmud says that a Jewish home that has Shalom Bayis, God resides in such a home. That the presence of God is manifested in a beautiful Jewish home. That is where the Shekhinah lies. So there is nothing, nothing more important than Shalom Bayis. And that has to be all of our goal. Not weekly, not monthly, but daily. It has to be the most important focus in our lives. Because not our business, not our health, not our friends... Not even our children, that's a different discussion for a different time, are more important than our marriage in normal situations. I call the lecture tonight, The Art of Shalom Bayis. And to be honest, I stole the name. Eric Fromm, who is a great German-Jewish psychoanalyst, once wrote, he was, actually grew up in a traditional Jewish home in Frankfurt. So Eric Fromm, who was ranked the top 25 psychoanalysts of the 20th century, so he wrote a book called The Art of Love, The Art of Loving. And in that book, the first paragraph of the book, Eric Fromm asks the following question. Is love an art? If so, then it requires... Knowledge and effort. If love is an art, if shalom bias is an art, it requires two things. Knowledge and effort. It demands knowledge and effort. 
And to be honest, as I pointed out in Amachad Shabbos, on a different topic, every human being in this world is unique. Every human being, the Talmud says, has their own ideas, their own tests, their own tribulations, their own struggles. And there's no human in the world who is similar to another human. And no marriage is alike. Every marriage is unique, which is why it demands knowledge. Everyone has to come out to, tonight and every day of their lives to look at their own marriage, not at somebody else's. And see, what does their marriage need? So tonight I'm going to speak about principles. And to be, to be honest, I cut off a lot. I want to be invited again to speak. <laughs> so I, I'm going to give part one. This is probably a ten-part series, but I want to focus on one topic tonight. Over a few years. <laughs> um, it demands knowledge and it demands effort. I pointed out a few seconds ago that there is nothing more fundamental, there is nothing more important than marriage. And the art of Shalom Bayis demands effort, demands hard work. Unquestionably, when you think of the art of Shalom Bayis, I would contend that the most important principle that every spouse, that every married person must know, beyond all doubt, is that you and your spouse are indeed united. Whatever the difficulties might be, you are one now and forever that every Jewish marriage you are completely one with your spouse. The Medrash Rabbah says a remarkable thing. Listen to the words of the Medrash Rabbah. Rabbi Pinchas b'shem Rabbi Yabahu matzinu b'toyrah b'nevi'im b'ksuvim she'en zivugu shal'ish ela min Rabbi Pinchas said in Amir Rabbi Yabahu that it's found in Torah and scripture, in nevi'im, in the words of the prophets, in k'suvim, that every Jewish man who is married to a Jewish woman, that shidduch, that marriage was made by God himself. That no one is married to the person and they're not supposed to be married to. The Talmud says in Sota, unless you're reckless or negligent. Okay, you could, when someone gets intermarried, <laughs> you weren't supposed to marry that person. You can always choose to marry somebody you're not supposed to. But when you make a decision and you try your hardest to marry the person you're supposed to, you are guaranteed to marry the person you're supposed to. The Talmud in Sota echoes that. The Talmud in Sota says, Arbayim yoyim, Kaidim yitziras havlad, Basko yoytzes, Vyaymeris, Basploni laploni. That 40 days before a Jewish child is born, a heavenly voice declares that this child is destined to marry this child. Every Jew has to know that their spouse is heavenly. Every Jew has to know that they are one with their spouse. The Zoyar says that in Inish, a person is chati gof. That every individual is only half of a person. And only the person they're married to could be mashlam, could perfect them. They are only whole with the person they are married to. And that the person they are married to, that is the person that could fit the missing link and nobody else. 
There is a beautiful Gemara in Tracte Brochus, in Esechus Brochus. The Gemara says as follows. When a person used to get married in Israel, in ancient Israel, the rabbi used to say to them as follows. Matzah Almighty. Matzah, as the verse says initially, Matzah Isha, Matzah Toiv, V'yafik Ratzim Hashem. A person found a wife, he found good, and he, find fa- he finds favor in the eyes of God. Or Moitzi, like the verse says in Kohalas, in Kohalas, whatever. You see that I'm used to Kohalas. Thank you. Um, as the verse says in Kohalas, that I took the woman who's more bitter than death and gave her to man. Sir Bistral Miller, who is a great rob from, from Pittsburgh, so he points out, what's the Talmud saying? Matzah Almighty. It says, Matzah is in past tense. Matzah means if you recognize in your marriage that the person you are married to, that that is who is destined to, to, to be your spouse, that that is who you are supposed to be married to, then not only will you savor the days where things are beautiful, but you will be able to withstand the trials when things are difficult. If you view your marriage as matzah, if you view your marriage as you're married to who you're supposed to, if you view that the person you live with, that is who you're supposed to be with, that is who you're going to invest in. Nobody else, there is no other options, there's no other possibilities. If you have such a Weltanschauung, if your worldview is matzah, then there is nothing more beautiful, there is nothing more pr- profound, there is nothing more sweet. But if your marriage is moitzi, it's present tense. If you're viewing marriage as I'm trying it out, and as long as it's good, maybe my marriage will work, maybe my marriage won't work. Maybe I'm supposed to be married to this person, maybe I'm not supposed to be married to this person. If you live marriage in present tense, then it's mommy moments. When you have to live a life of second guessing, when every time you have a little bump on the road, you say, am I really supposed to be married to this person? Then a marriage is difficult. But if you live with matzah, if you know what the Talmud and the Gemara, the Medrash, the Kabbalah, all say that you are heavenly decreed to the person you're married to, that there is no one more important, now is no one more, more important, but she is or he is your other half. He or she is you. He or she is you. Then it's, it's, it's more beautiful than anything in this world. Then marriage, when you invest in it, when you know that you are one with your spouse and with nobody else in this world, and there is no other possibility, then it's matzah toiv Hashem, then it's beautiful from Hashem and in, in your own life as well. The goal in marriage has to be this, to create not only this heavenly unity, but an earthly unity as well. The Torah, when it talks about the marriage of Adam v'chava, the first marriage in this world, says about all marriages, echad, that they shall become one flesh. That a husband and wife are supposed to be unified in marriage. That not only should we be heavenly, divinely unified, but in this world, our goal has to be to be completely one. The Chazoyin Ish says that how do you view this unity? Like your right hand to the left hand. That the goal has to be 
that you're completely one unit, one body, one flesh. There's a right hand and a left hand, there's a husband and a wife. I think the epitome, the, the famous story of Arya Levine, who I mentioned previously, when he went to the doctor when his wife's foot was hurting, and he told the doctor, my wife's foot hurts us. That is how a Jew should live in marriage. That each spouse views that their wife's, if their spouse's, if their husband's foot hurts, their foot hurts. Because it's a right and left hand. That not only should we realize that we're divinely one, we are one. And when, when our spouse is hurting, we're hurting. So this is easier said than done. So how do we create, how do we foster, how do we develop this hashkafa, this veltanshang, of Vayula Basar Echad of being completely one. So, in contrast to the general secular view, <laughs> anyone want to turn off the beepers? Make sure. <laughs> so, in, in, in contrast to the general secular view, that one simply falls in love. Right? In America, in the Western world, what's the common refrain the past few hundred years? You fall in love. Ever since Romeo and Juliet, people fall in love. Yiddishkeit, Judaism from the beginning, teaches it's not that way. The Torah tell, teaches us, as Rav Hirsch points out, the Torah, if you look at the verses in Bereshis, it says that Isaac married Rebecca, Yitzhak married Rivka, and then he loved her. The Yitzchak married Rivka, and then he loved her. A Jewish couple does not wait for love to fall upon them. Rather, they daily work to make their marriage full of love. We don't fall in love, we create love. I once saw a beautiful line by Rabbi Dr. Avram Tversky. He said, More important to love someone you marry more important to, to love someone you marry than to marry someone you love. It is more important to love someone you marry than to marry someone you love. It is much more important to love someone you marry. Of course you should marry someone you love, but that's only in the beginning. Ultimately, you have to love someone you marry. You have to work on marriage. It demands not waiting for it to be zapped into you or not some song to play in the background. It's a daily effort, a daily goal. So how does an individual work on this? So I'm going to give a few pointers. Firstly, a, a couple, a spouse, should always look at the milas, at the pluses of their spouse. Every day, you should look for something good, one thing good in your spouse. Make it a goal every day. To look at one good, find a positive thing. Even when the spouse is not in a good mood, even when you're not in a good mood, find a positive, one positive thing of, his, of your spouse. The altar we tell him when he'd come home Friday night, he would look at the Shabbos table and he would look what positive thing he could, he could praise. And he, he, that wasn't only the Shabbos table. Every day of his life he wrote that he had 5,000 things of positive attributes about his wife that he noticed in one year. <laughs> 5,000, that's more than one a day. 5,000 that he sat there every day because marriage is an investment. You look at the mindless of your spouse. When you're, in, when you're in a little bit of a tiff, 
or when you're a little bit frustrated with your spouse, stop for a second and think of the positive. Think of a good thing that you can say about your spouse. So if you want to develop this unity, this one, you have to have this positive feeling. So the first thing is look for mindless. Look for positive, good things you can say about your spouse. Number two, the great Sadik, the stipler going, used to say that love is built on hakara satov. Love is built on appreciation. Whenever your spouse does something for you, big or small, try to thank them or show them another form of appreciation. It doesn't always have to be a gift. It could be any other form of appreciation as well. A Think of how you can express appreciation to your spouse. When you appreciate your spouse, you not only give a positive vibe, give a good feeling to your spouse, but you, 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 you yourself feel good about your spouse. It makes that first step, the mindless of looking at the positive attributes, it concretizes that in your own life. Number three, and Rabbi Dessler, Rabbi Eliyahu Dessler, explains this in detail in his Kudus HaChesed when he discusses giving. He says that love is not the product of... Uh, giving is not the product of love, but love is the product of giving. That the more you give, the more you give, the more you will love. Okay? The more you give, the more you love. You have to view marriage as you being a giver. A, we get married not to take. A Jew gets married because they want to express themselves. They don't, want, they don't want to be egocentric. They don't want to be totally focused on themselves. They want to be, live beyond themselves. Both husbands and wife should be sitting under the chuppah, and that chuppah should take them for the rest of their life, saying, I want to get married to be a giver, to be able to give to somebody else. That is the beauty of marriage. Odessa points out how important giving is. And even a close family relationship, he said he once spoke to a lady who was separated for six years from her child in World War II. And the lady says that that child she never had the same love for as her other children. Because she missed six years of giving to that child. Because love is a product of giving. And a Jew has to focus every, his whole life on his marriage to be a giver. Certainly, and I will not go in, in detail tonight, but I must say that it is one of the most critical areas of marriage, and certainly giving in this area is very important. That is the bedroom itself. It's not for a public audience, certainly not for a mixed public audience, but I would say that this area of marriage is critical. I would say that it is the apex, the most holy thing a married couple can do, if done correctly, um, but I'll say no more than that tonight. But a Jew has to be a giver. And giving really generates love. There is a famous Hasidic tale. And the Hasidic tale goes like this. There was once a rabbi of a little village in Eastern Europe, of a shtetl. And the mikvah attendants, this is like perfect for tonight. The mikvah attendants come to the rabbi and they tell the rabbi, rabbi, the mikvah is not our mikvah, of course, but the mikvah is in, is, is in disarray. It's a dump. It, it, people are scared to go in there. They want it smells. It doesn't look good anymore. You know, people don't want to come. We gotta really re- rebuild the mikvah. We gotta refurbish the mikvah. 
So the Rebbe didn't have any answers. He didn't know what to do. He said, let me think about it. I'll try to figure out an answer. Lo and behold, the next day, somebody knocks on the door. It's the richest individual in the shtetl. The richest person in the shtetl. The one person who could probably help for the mikvah. One problem. This rich gavir is a miserly individual. Never gave a penny to tzedakah. Never gave a penny to charity. So he comes to the rabbi. The rabbi's saying, how am I going to build this mikvah? Comes to the rabbi, and he says, rabbi, I want a bracha. I want a blessing. So the rabbi says, for what? So he says, I want a blessing that my wife should die. So the rabbi says, your wife should die? Yes! With an enthusiasm. I want a blessing that my wife should die. So I said, chas v'shalom, God forbid. If your wife is sick or she's not feeling well, you don't pray that she dies. Right? You pray that she gets better. You pray that you shouldn't pray that she dies. He says, no, no, you don't understand that. My wife is not sick and she's not suffering. She's just causing me to suffer. <laughs> I want a blessing for her to die. So the Rebbe's quiet. So after a few minutes, he tells him, listen, God forbid I would give you a blessing that your wife should die. But I have an idea. I have an idea. There is a Talmud, the, the, the Gemara says that if a person pledges to charity and doesn't fulfill his or her pledge, then a very close relative of theirs will pass away, will die. So he said, if you follow this Talmud, if you pledge to charity and don't give the charity, then that sp- your spouse may as well die, will probably die. So Rabbi points out, Rabbi pointed out the mikvah needs refurbishing. So Simchas Torah was later that week, and at the Simchas Torah pledges in, in Eastern Europe, they used to pledge on Simchas Torah for Aliyahs. The guy gets up and says, I pledge to refurbish the entire mikvah. And people are shocked. Like that. They're stunned. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. This, this rich Jew who never gave a penny is giving to the most important communal need right now to give to the mikvah. And they're excited and they're, they're, they're thrilled until the next week came when they came to collect. <laughs> and he kicked them out. He said, I'm not giving you a penny. I pledge. I don't care that I pledged. And then he goes to sleep that night and he's excited. Oh, that woman, that witch, finally she's going to be gone. A few days pass by, turn to weeks, and his wife is still around. She hasn't even sneezed. <laughs> so he goes back to the rebel, and he says, Rebel, she's not even sick. I, I made the pledge for the mikvah. I, 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 of course I was never going to give them money, no way. And nothing's happening. So the rebel is quiet for a few minutes. He says, sometimes things don't come easily. That comes with a little bit of oinish, a little difficulty. He said, for you, I want you to do one thing. Think about the one thing your wife would really like. A small thing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Think what she would really like and give it to her. I know that's going to be very hard for you. Maybe that will be the, the cause. So the guy thinks and he thinks. Flowers. And he goes and he buys a beautiful bouquet of flowers and he comes home and he gives it to his wife. And his wife is flabbergasted. 
She said, in 20 years of marriage, he hasn't given me a gift. She says, that, you know what? I have no idea what he's up to. But the least I can do is make him a supper he likes. So he comes to supper that night, and it's his favorite dish, which he's never made in the 20 years. And he's so excited. He said, I can't believe this. She gave me my favorite dish. Never should she make me this. You know what? She's not that bad. Maybe tomorrow I'll get her a small gift of appreciation. So he went and he bought a small piece of jewelry. And this went on and on. There's this positive energy she was giving to him, and he was giving to her. Elul comes, and it's getting close to Hashanah. He comes in a panic to the Rebbe, uh, and he says, Rebbe, it's almost Rosh Hashanah. I don't want my wife to die. I haven't given the money to charity. I don't want my wife to die. So the Rebbe says to him, he said, what do you mean? I thought you wanted, you asked me for a blessing. Your wife should die. She says, no, that was then. Now I love her. And that's the last thing in the world I want is for her to die. So the Rebbe, with a little smile on his face, said, so perhaps give the donation to the mikvah? <laughs> and he gave the donation. So I'm not, this is not an appeal for the mikvah. <laughs> but I think this Hasidic tale really shows that giving, giving, even in a poor marriage, it generates love. When a spouse gives to another spouse, when the focus is on giving, that generates love. Right? When, you, when your focus is to give to others, that will definitely, fo- that will definitely cause love. The Chazan Ish recommends that spouses share with their beloved other not only the important things that happen to them in their week or month, but their daily feelings, emotions, trials, and tribulations. Even things that you would sometimes consider insignificant. As Rabbi Sacher Fran says, you should share your days together, and then you'll come to share your lives together. And the truth is, the Torah of Ram, who was the Mashkiach of Slabarka before World War II, said as follows. That to do any true good act, any act of chesed, any act of kindness, if you really want to do it, you have to research it. You got to understand the person you're giving to. You got to look into the person you're giving to. You got to know what the person needs, what the per- where, where the person is, what the person really likes. Is that in any good deed? If you really want to help somebody, you'll know what they, you'll try to figure out what they need, how to present it to them, how to give it to them. So, this is the, so much more so in your marriage. Who who could you give more to than your spouse? But to give to your spouse, you really got to know where they are and what they need, and especially by men and women. Because men and women have inherent differences, both physiological and in general, there are differences between men and women. And sometimes men do are from Mars and women are from Venus. They don't understand where the other one's coming from. And communication, communication, expressing what you appreciate, what you don't like, that is so crucial. Truth is, the Tanayim, we know when we get married, before we get married, there's the Tanayim, everyone knows what Tanayim is. Before you, you break the plate, you know, we, and then you get in the marriage, you write up a Tanayim. So the Tanayim say, I'm going to quote the Tanayim, say, that the couple should control the properly equal and not hide anything from one another. In other words, they should share their lives, their intimate lives with each other. Somebody who does not understand their spouse, 
does not know their spouse likes, does not know their spouse needs, is bound to repeat mistakes. They're bound to repeat mistakes. You'll serve the same dish, you'll say the same line, you'll do the same thing that the person is annoyed by, or you'll fail to seize a beautiful opportunity for closeness and to cement your relationship. If you don't know your spouse, then you won't appreciate your spouse and you won't utilize your spouse. And to go back to what I said in the beginning, you may not get into a fight, but you won't have that beautiful bond, that beautiful bond that marriage, marriage offers. I once saw somebody interview a young, liberal, yuppie couple, you know, who the woman said like this. She said she had always been a feminist and she always wanted to, get a, a, to work in the outside world. And she said that she realized once she got married, she felt she, she just was a roommate or a physical relationship with her husband. She never felt she had a bond. And that she realized that she had to change her own lifestyle in order to create that bond. Right? She had, and that goes for men as well. Everyone has to realize that it, to, met, to really understand the person, you need to, to, to be connected to a person. It can't be a roommate. You have to know the person. You have to understand the person. John Mordechai Gottman, who is a professor of psychology at the University of Washington, the co-founder of the Gottman Institutes, and regarded by many as the foremost relationship researcher in the country, happens to also be a Baal Teshuvah, <laughs> a person who became religious later in life and wears a yarmulke when he speaks. So he stresses this point. I'm going to quote from his book, The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work. In knowledge, there is strength. Emotionally intelligent couples are intimately familiar with each other's world. I call this having a richly detailed love map. My term for that part of your brain where you store all of the relevant information about your partner's life. They remember the major events in each other's histories and they keep updating their information as the facts and feelings of their spouse's worlds change. They know each other's goals in life, each other's worries, each other's hopes. From knowledge springs not only love, but the fortitude to weather marital storms. Couples who have detailed love maps of each other, of each other's world, are far better prepared to cope with stressful events and conflict. Any major change from a baby to a job shift to a move to illness or retirement can cause couples to lose their way without a detailed love map. Just the passage of time can do it as well. The more you know and understand each other, the easier it is to keep connected as life swirls around you. And in, the, in his book, he interviews people, and it's remarkable. You see these couples who knew each other 20 years before. They talk about their marriage, and they, they don't, they're not up to date in their spouse. They, don't, they lost that connection. They don't know who their spouse is anymore. They have an idea, but they don't know what the spouse's dreams, they're the worlds. They knew their spouse at 25, 27, 35, 40, but today they're, they're out of touch. So he says, you know, you should always ask your spouse, what's up, Doc? <laughs> what's up, Doc? You should have that connection. You should know where your spouse is. You should share with your spouse. And you ask most people 
Do you want to have that? And the answer is yes. So the key is, is that we, each of ourselves, have to be the communicative one. Don't expect your spouse to open up. You should be asking your spouse. I have enough husbands and wives, at least one person in each will go. Right? You should be asking. And not only should you be asking, you should be informing your spouse. Now, it takes tact. It takes, you know, a good heart to do it correctly. But you should tell your spouse about your life. You should share what you enjoy. It's wrong to expect your spouse to understand you if you've never explained yourself. You should take the time to talk to your spouse about what bothers you and what excites you, what you appreciate, and what perhaps could be a little bit better about your marriage, how you would like to raise the children a little bit differently, perhaps, where you would like to go to vacation. You haven't liked going to Tahoe. You wish you'd go to Yosemite. But your spouse always offers Tahoe. You don't say anything. Well, if you never say anything, it's never going to happen. And it's wrong to keep that in. You should share yourself with your spouse. You should share your dreams. And I want to say one thing that I cannot stress enough. That never, and I mean never, ever, should communication in a marriage be done with anger. You will never have proper communication when you're upset. You're not going to convey ideas. It's not going to help your marriage. It will only hinder it. If you're upset, go for a walk. Say, I'd like to talk to you later. Push off that conversation. People are not receptive to hear others when they're angry. Not friends, not parents, not teachers, and not their spouse. If you have an important point, it can be the most beautiful point in the world, and your spouse should hear it if it bothers you. You shouldn't hold it in. But wait until you're calm. Because all your spouse will hear, if you say when you're upset, is they'll hear your anger. They're not going to hear you. They're not going to hear your point. Never, ever communicate when you're upset. Say to your spouse, I want to speak to you, not right now, when I'm calm. That is not small, that's great. That's a sign of greatness. When a spouse is intelligent and savvy enough to recognize that their marriage is important, do they have the knowledge of themselves and they make the effort? Because it's so easy to just scream back or just express frustration. And it's so hard to have the patience and the intelligence to wait. But it's so important and it's so crucial for our marriages. And it's, it's what you need in your spouse needs as well. So like I said before, it takes effort, it takes knowledge but you have to communicate, you have to share your life. So I just, you know, <clears throat> just to re- reiterate, looking at the milas, looking at the, the, the pluses, hakara, satoyv, appreciation, what's number three? Giver. Being a giver, communicating, expressing yourself, you know, sharing your life, taking the time to share your life. Taking the time, all of these things, you can't have the most important thing in this world and the next mitigated, put aside. Every couple has to invest in their marriage. The great Rob from New York, of Ram Palm, used to say that the courtship must continue. That you don't date only when you're going to get married. You must date in marriage itself. And that is an ideal time to share your life. Every couple should have a weekly time where they get together without the kids. If you do it more than weekly, Ashraka, praise it are you. 
a time when there's nothing else, where there's no cell phones, and there's no beepers, and there's no internet, and it's not in front of some kind of screen, where you're just sharing your lives, where you're talking, it could be by a meal, it could be, you know, a walk, it could be a vacation, whatever, maybe every couple has to invest in themselves because their marriage is the most important thing in the world. The art of Shalom Bayis, it demands knowledge, it demands effort. So I end the time, I'm going to end, I know some people have to get home for their kids. I want to end as follows. That marriage, as I pointed out, it shouldn't be part of. It should be the most beautiful, it should be the most profound relationship in the world. It's the, the fundamental litmus test of who we are, and it is the way a Jew grows in this world. That ideally a, a Jewish couple should grow not only into one, but they should grow one with Hashem together. My bracha to everyone here tonight is that they should be zaycha, they should all merit to have the beautiful marriages that we, we pray for and we give blessings for under the chuppah, under the wedding canopy, that our houses should be filled with the shekhinah, filled with the divine presence, and as a result of our houses being filled in the divine presence, we should all be zoicha together to see the divine presence rest in Jerusalem once again, and we should be able to see the words of the prophets, that together we'll hear this tuba of on the Mount of Jerusalem, that the grooms and brides should be happy together, and we'll focus on our own marriages and our marriages of Hashem and the class will be great as well. Thank you.